Hello again, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Animation Fascination. I'm Mark Weber, and with me again, as always, is Matt Quest. Hello! And today, our guest host is Tim Costello. Hello, everyone. Basically, if you haven't listened to our podcast before, we focus on the entire world of animation. Each episode, we feature an animated series or film from the past or present. Whether it's traditionally hand-drawn, computer-generated, or stop-motion, if it's animated, it's up for discussion with us. Uh, so today, or I'm going to get into the new releases first that have just come out on DVD and Blu-ray. The first one is the Looney Tunes show, There Goes the Neighborhood, which it's another in that line of DVD releases where they release the seasons like in eight different volumes, so you buy them like eight different times for like $15, so you pay way more than you would if it had you bought the season outright by itself. But, yeah, so this is season one, part two of the Looney Tunes show. And I, I actually, this is like an updated version of the Looney Tunes where it's, like, they have a story going throughout the episode. And they kind of, it's somewhat close to, like, the original Looney Tunes, like, humor and whatnot. But they also are contemporary with, they do, like, references to things like, like Phineas and Ferb do or, like, Family Guy and whatnot. So it updates the Looney Tunes characters and and that and Bugs Bunny and Daffy live together in Bugs' house, so that's that's funny too. And then some of the voice cast is pretty good. And then if you guys remember Lola Bunny from Space Jam, she yep. she's in this too. Then it's the first thing she's been in since that. And uh, Kristen Wiig from Saturday Night Live actually does her voice, so that's pretty awesome. cool too. That's yeah. awesome. So if you guys like like Phineas and Ferb or like newer shows i definitely would check this out because it's kind of got that vibe and like mixed with almost like with like regular shown adventure time so you like the original Looney tunes you'd like this and if you like newer shows you'd like that too uh and that's that's already out i think that came out a few weeks ago and then the next thing kind of goes with what our main topic is today is the young justice dangerous secrets dvd that came out which is another season one part two DVD because apparently you can't just buy the entire season by itself. <laughs> uh, Why don't they just do that? Why don't they just release the whole thing? <laughs> because they want to make more money. That's that's all. That's all it's about. And then the, and yeah, then awesome. and the shows, both these shows are aired in HD on TV, but they only release DVDs of them. So that's another thing that kind of stinks about that is that you want like that vibrant looking animation and to be in HD on a Blu-ray, then you're kind of out of luck if you want the DVD of it. But And I and I have the, the Young Justice pilot on, in HD, and it looks great. I mean, it, the, the, like the coloring, the lighting, the, 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 the definition of the characters looks really good in HD, especially when it gets to the effects-heavy stuff in the second half of the pilot. It's really yeah. good. Yeah, I mean, basically, like you're saying, is to go on iTunes to download these shows to get them in HD if you want them. But it would be nice yeah. if there was Blu-rays. And both these DVDs actually don't have any special features on them whatsoever, which is kind of sad, too, because I would have liked to see like some behind-the-scenes stuff for those. And we'll like, get a little bit like more the into Young... the older ones. Yeah, we'll get more to Young Justice later on in the episode. But the next thing that came out was... This Tuesday was the Lorax came out in Blu-ray. And Matt and I... <laughs> Matt and I talked about this a couple episodes back... Uh, and I, I got a chance to watch Blu-ray. It looks really good. Like all all CG films look look great on on Blu-ray. But 
Uh, oh, so, of course. Yeah. There's yeah. three three new all new mini movies on here, which are more. They're not. I don't know. They, they might as well just call these three deleted scenes from the movies that they just finished the animation for, because they could you could insert them right back into separate parts of the movie, and they even say that in one of the introductions is that these are originally scenes in the film, and then they just took them out because they felt too re- repetitive to other things that you saw beforehand or whatnot. But some of them are funny. There's a few things in there, like the, the animals. Most of them are, are basically silent films for the most part, so that's kind of cool too. But yeah, if you like to the fish in the movies, they're, they're in their own little short, and then the bears have their own short. And then there's another attempt to get the one slayer's bed out of his room with the Lorax, so that's pretty funny too. And then there, there's some there's a making of the mini moves, so you can see how they made those on there. But then there's not an actually making of this movie on there, like the the full length film. There's a Seuss to screen on there, which is kind of cool. It talks about turning a bunch of the Seuss film, I mean books, into different animated films, and it kind of talks a little bit about how what the next film might be. And it's, it's kind of cool. I look and I really liked it a lot. There's a 3D version of the Blu-ray too, if you have a 3D TV. So. But yeah, if you guys liked any of those, definitely check them out because they're definitely worth watching. But... Yeah, I, I definitely want to see the Lorax. That's what I want to see. But I, I remember I, I saw the, uh, the 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 mini movies thing that they had on there, and, and I don't I don't know I don't know why they just didn't call them short films. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So definitely check out the Lorax if you haven't yet. Matt, I meant like I said a, a few minutes ago, Matt and I had talked about this months ago, but. I think now that we've seen more animated films this year, Lorax definitely isn't one of the better ones, but it's it's not it's not a bad movie by any part. It's just not the best animated film that's come out this year, I would say. No, it's no, there like, have been a lot of better ones. Yeah. Like like we said previously, it's like the Lorax title of the movie. Yeah. Uh, Danny and DeVito. He's in one third of the movie. You don't even see him the whole movie. He's in one third of the film. Yeah. Is that all? Yeah. Wow. I I I obviously haven't haven't seen the Lorax yet. I didn't get a chance to see it in theaters. The actual the movie should actually be called like it should either be called the Onceler, or actually it could even just be called uh, Zac Efron does the voice of Ted in a (laughs) Zac Efron. No, no, no. In a film inspired (laughs) by the Lorax. Okay, okay, Mark, I've got the perfect title for the, for, for, for the Lorax movie. It's not going to be called The Lorax. It's going to be called Have You Met Ted? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, but so th- those are our, our reviews for this week. So if, definitely if you have a Blu-ray player, buy the Lorax on Blu-ray. If you have a 3D DV, yeah, a 3D DV, a 3D Blu-ray player, which if you have a PS3, you have one of those, or a 3D TV, which we'll put a poll on that. On our on our Facebook page or our new page, not our new page, our page, and see how many people actually have 3D TVs. But yeah, check those out. You can get those on DVD for Looney Tunes and Young Justice, or if you want them in HD, go on iTunes. Check them out because you're gonna want to watch them in HD anyways because HD is better than standard definition. Yes. But yes. with with that, let's get into our recommendations for the week. So. My recommendation for the week is this stop-motion animated film called Zero, which was directed by Christopher Keselos. 
Uh, it's won a bunch of dif different awards, and it, it's it's a stop animated film with these balls of yarn characters that they all have different numbers on them, and which represents like essentially their ranking in life. And there's zero. That's he's a, a zero, but and like he always gets picked on and whatnot. And it's basically talks about like how. Even if, like, you come from, like, small beginnings, you can create big things, and something can come from nothing. And it's a, a cool, th it's kind of got a good moral thing about it with how people should be treated and whatnot. And I, I, I don't know, I liked it. I liked the, the narrator for it, too. It kind of had, like, a, almost like a, I don't know, like a, like a book. You know what I'm, you know what I mean? Matt, you, you watched it, too, right? Yeah. It was pretty cool. It had like kind of like that Doctor Seuss, like yeah, you know, kind of over the top, like a uh, voiceover kind of deal. So it was like a nice narration that went with it, because like nothing, nobody like spoke in the actual short film. Yeah. So it was just kind of cool how it was all animated. There was no dialogue, and you got you understood everything that was going on through the narration. A good place to find stuff like this is like where Matt and I have been finding stuff is Vimeo. And just go on categories animation. You can find a whole bunch of cool animated stuff that you might not find anywhere else on the internet. And my recommendation for the week is Happy Camper Born with a Bothered Mind. And uh, the the reason I picked this is it's got a really cool uh, blend of 2D, 3D. Um, the actual character uh, that's animated in this um, uh, music video uh, is like it, it has fur so it's like 3d fur on this character but they huh. you know they mask him so he's like you know it looks 2d but when the character moves across the screen you get this really like lifelike looking shaky like fur across the screen it's really cool and like the whole thing's in 2d but the character is like animated within this 3d space and it just looks really cool and the song's pretty catchy too so i that's my recommendation for the week and what we were kind of saying when we talked about this a little bit earlier was that I think this is kind of how Paper Man is going to be that Disney is putting out. It's going to be in front of Rocket Ralph later this year, and where Paper Man is that CG 2D hybrid. And I'm yeah. I'm hoping that a lot of films start coming out like that, where we see like that way they're not completely abandoning either hand-drawn animation, but they're not you know not doing CG either. That way they're just blending them together and that's like a new form of animation in and of itself yeah. too. So it'll be cool it's to just, see if that catches on like as a new form yeah, of animation. Because all these like, you know, people are starting to integrate this new, like they're being creative with their styles of the 2D, 3D. There's so yeah. many different ways you can, you know, apply the uh, 3D and 2D effects. It's really cool. Yeah, like there's... So I hope to see, yeah, like day and a lot night. more of that. Day and night. Yeah, that was like the eye opener for a lot of people yeah. with the two D three D style. And and more more or less South Park is like that too. So yeah, it's definitely cool. And then with that, going into Tim's recommendation. Um, my recommendation um, it's kind of an older one. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm sure everybody by this point has already seen them. The uh, I recently watched this week the Toy Story tunes. And I have not seen those up until this point. I'd seen Hawaiian Vacation about a month ago, a month or so ago. But um, I had not seen Small Fry because I didn't get to see the Muppets in, in the theaters. And I really like these, the, these short films, these Toy Story tunes, because I'm a big fan of Pixar. Um, 
as I'm sure everybody is on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but um, I really enjoyed these films. Uh, they were the, the animation was really solid, really really solid, and the voice work as well. Like I was very surprised in Small Fry to hear um, Jay Lynch the do the voice oh, yeah. of uh, Neptuna. That was funny to me. <laughs> and 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 what some and, people might not. Not know is there's a older Disney character that actually makes a brief cameo in that as one of the discarded toys is Condor Man. It's a really old Disney film from I want to say like the 70s or 80s. But if if you find that, look that up. And that was actually actually the director who did that. I'm blinking who directed that that short. I want to say it was Doug Sweetland, but I'm not 100% correct on that, so don't quote me. But he. Oh, well, well. Well, the director of Small Fry was. Uh, you talked about the director of the original short film or Small Fry? Small Fry. Small Fry was directed by Angus McLean. Okay, Angus McLean. I know. I know that they separated the four shorts that they're going to do between four, and I know he's one of them. But yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was a really enjoyable short film. I really, really, I really enjoyed it a lot because I didn't get a chance to see it, and I was, I was almost thinking that I would never get a chance to, and then iTunes just released both of them um, yeah, that's... On, on, okay. on, their, on their site. Sweet. What's nice about yeah, that is like, iTunes like put those out, and then they put the Tangled Ever After out that was in front of Beauty and the Beast when that came out in 3D. So it's nice to be able to buy these or download them and watch them that way because they're not available any other way. What yeah. does kind of stink is that they're not in HD, which I don't know why that they didn't put them on there in HD. Which That's kind of weird. But What's that? That they didn't put the Toy Story tunes or Tangled Ever After in HD on iTunes. Yeah, I I, I don't get why because they, they haven't they didn't do that for any of the Mater shorts either. They're the ones that are on the, on iTunes either. Oh, like they're weird. just in standard definition, and I think that's a tragedy because, as we know, that there's a vast difference between a Pixar movie on DVD and a Pixar movie on Blu-ray. I mean, just I I I owned Pixar movies on DVD previously, and then I um I got all of them on Blu-ray. And I just think that that's the superior format for those films and any animated film, really. I think that Blu-ray is, if not anything, uh, the perfect way to watch these animated films and short films and animated TV series that we love. Definitely. Uh, and kind of going off that is I finally watched the the time travel Mater, Mater's Tall, or Tall Tales because I've been meaning to watch that for a while and that was really good. I really liked it all. It kind of explains like the backstory to Radiator Springs, and there's a ever so brief nice. reference to Back to the Future that I liked in there too. So. <laughs> <That's awesome>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So those are our recommendations for the week. Uh, with that, we're gonna get into the trailers. The first subtitle trailer for Studio Ghibli's new film from Up on Poppy Hill was released, uh, and I thought this looked pretty good. Another. Studio Ghibli film that's going to be great. It's actually directed by Hai Miyazaki's son, Goro Miyazaki, and who did Tales from Earthsea previously. And it's it's about it's it's a love story that takes place the year before the 1964 Tokyo Summer Olympics. So it'll be interesting to see how well this does. And I mean, this has already come out in Japan, I think, like last year, because we we get these films like two years be- behind them. <laughs> <laughs> but it'll, I'm looking forward to this. Just like, yeah, it came out in July 2011 there. So 
when we finally get it, I'm looking forward to watching it here because I finally watched My Neighbor Totoro and I plan on watching all the other Studio Ghibli films within the the next month or two. So Yeah, you gotta catch up on that. Yeah, I need to cross all of those films off my shameless because <laughs> I, I can't do an animation podcast and not have have seen much of the Miyazaki films. Yeah, have you guys got a chance to watch this trailer at all yet? <laughs> yeah, I, I watched it. It was pretty good. Um, it's I was interested to find out that his son actually directs as well because I didn't know that previously. So when I I read the uh you know the the blog on it, I was like, whoa, that's pretty cool. And I mean, it seems like the same kind of style, like he's following in his dad's footsteps. So that was pretty neat as well. I can't wait to see this one. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it looks like you know a, a pretty decent a- anime film, kind of different than you know, than than the normal anime film. Very grounded in reality because no- normally anime films, you know, they have the trademark anime things, you know, monsters, robots. I mean, the the, the last anime thing I saw uh, of recent memory uh, was Full Metal Alchemist and the Supernatural anime, and even in the Supernatural anime. This is uh, the anime based on the television series Supernatural. I don't know if you've seen this yet, Mark. No, I, I, I want to watch that now that I've caught up with the TV show Supernatural. And, yeah. we'll, I, and I'm going to watch it before we eventually do our episode about stuff that was originally live action getting turned into animated stuff. So. Right, right. Well, anyway, in, that, in, in an episode of that, of that series, they actually found a way to put a robot into a supernatural anime episode. Nice. <laughs> so that was funny. <laughs> and and uh, that that supernatural anime thing, that's that's like the first two seasons basically made into like that essentially Yeah. Anime yeah, they, they actually do some some new concepts too, like some some things that that you um couldn't do when in, in the live action show. Like the scene in uh, Matt, have you seen the C- TV show Supernatural at all? I have not, unfortunately. Okay. Well, it, there's this scene. It's on Netflix, so check it out. Add it to your key, yeah. Matt. Yes, yeah, sweet. Do it. Do it. That's the it's only awesome. thing I do have is Netflix, so I'll have to check that out. Yeah, you will You, you will not regret it. It's awesome. Anyway, <laughs> there's a scene where, you know, um, where one of the main characters is a shapeshifter, and he's tearing off his skin, and in the show... It's just it's it, it cuts really fast and it's very very you know cheaply done. You can tell that it's a bad makeup job, and but in the anime it's actually a full blown monster and it's really cool. But anyway, I'm I'm getting off track here. And, and with that, our our second guest host has actually joined us for the night, Mr. Jonathan Morris. Hi. With that, we're gonna get into our, the news for the night. Uh, the first thing we're going to be talking about is Pixar's next Toy Story tune. Uh, Tim kind of talked about the, the first few. The next one is uh, Party Saurus Rex, which is going to be in front of Finding Nemo 3D when that comes out next month. And basically, yeah, it's, it's all Rex basically in, in bath time, essentially. And some of the, the pictures for this that came out looked pretty cool. And if you've seen one of them, the the toilet seat cover bears in mind a, another character and hopefully he's still got all of his, his skin. 
I, I am looking forward to this a lot because, like I said earlier in the show, I really enjoyed the first two story, Toy Story tunes, and I love the I love the Toy Story franchise. Uh, it, it's 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 always fun, and I like that they're exploring another facet of of a toy's life, bath time. That's going to be really cool. I I also like that it's just focusing just on Rex, because like yeah. the first two have kind of well, I mean the first one focused on on Barbie and Ken, but I think this one is basically just going to be like Rex in the bathtub essentially and not maybe have even buzzer woody in it at all so that'll be kind of nice too that's gonna be good I'm, I'm really excited to see this the next thing is that brenda chapman who was the original director of brave and wrote the original story for it and whatnot is actually left pixar and she's now a consultant at lucasfilm animation so there's been a bunch of people that have like recently left there that were originally directors on films and then they became, they were replaced, like, Brad Lewis, who, like, we were just talking about Cars 2, was originally the director that was replaced, and John Lasseter ended up directing the rest of it, and then there's, there's been a, the, I think this is where Doug Sweetland was in my mind, was the director of Day Night actually went to Sony to direct an animated film for them, too, so, I mean, it sucks when anybody leaves certain places over maybe disagreements they had with stuff like that but i guess we we would wish her the best at there and like hopefully that means she'll be she would be working on possibly like the the clone wars animated series and other stuff that lucasfilm might be putting out like that too so as as some of you may not know she does follow our podcast so she might be listening to this yeah yeah Yeah. and uh you know i was actually very surprised to hear this news yeah yeah and so for some reason, I had I hadn't known this before, but uh, my wife, son, and I watched Little Mermaid the other night. She had uh, another famous Disney redhead, and she had worked on that film as well. <laughs> wow! So she had been with wow. Disney for a pretty long time, considering that, like that's almost like 23 years. So definitely yeah, wish her the best at Lucasfilm, and yeah, hopefully we wish her the best. Yeah. The the next thing is concept art and character designs for a film called The Song of the Sea, which is from the director of The Secret of the Kells, which I watched this last year, and I thought it was a pretty cool film where it looks like almost like moving stained glass windows almost. That's what the film looks like it's animated from, and it's kind of got that Irish feel to it and whatnot. Has anyone else gotten to see The Secret of the Kells at all? Yeah, I have. What did you think of The the Secret of the Kells? Oh, I think it's brilliant. I think it's like one of the most, you know, criminally underseen animated films in the last decade. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that was great. And I'm, I'm now with this that he's working on, this looks like it's going to be just as that, that same kind of style to it. And I bet it's going to look just as good uh, in HD. And then I'm hoping that it'll get released in theaters. So I don't think that Secret of Kells got released in like a wide release in the US. Yeah, it was like it was New York, LA, a few other places. Never made it wide. Never made it like, you know, the yep. suburbs. <laughs> I can sadly attest to that. <laughs> yeah, so hopefully if if it doesn't get a theater release, it gets a, a great Blu-ray release because these shots on here look look great and it can only mean it's going to look that much better in, in Blu-ray and HD. So, yeah, if you haven't seen Secret of Kells yet, definitely check that out too because that, that's a great movie. Would I be remiss in going back one story? <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Uh, sorry, I was trying to get turn off a virus scan on my end here. Um, but Brenda Chapman, I'm actually working on something right now for my own site. Not necessarily strictly on animation, but just about like how 
you know, how feminism was treated in the movies this year. And, you know, this past summer with Brave, you had uh, Prometheus and you also had, you know, Black Widow and the Avengers. And it's, uh, it was amazing how much I could really tell. And I'm, I'm interested in finding out, I would love to someday know the full story. Who knows if we ever will, but just oh, yeah. how much of how Brave was turned, you know, changed around. Because it was, the movie had a lot of problematic aspects to it when you looked at it as like, you know, a pro-female power story. It had a lot of good ideas to it, too. But, yeah, I was wondering, I would love to know someplace where, you know, the female influence ended and the, you know, perhaps male influence took over because it was really sort of a movie that was divided between those two things. But I, I'm not surprised hearing what I heard that she's leaving and, you know, as you say, more yeah. power to her. Definitely. And, I mean, maybe there'll be... I mean, there probably won't be, like, an explanation explanation on the Blu-ray, but there'll probably be... Because, I mean, they didn't address anything like that in the Cars 2 thing with yeah. Brad Lewis. But I'm sure since Brave was such was based on such a, like, a personal story to her, like, and her mother and whatnot, yeah. there'll probably be some kind of thing related to that on, on the Blu-ray for, like, the making of the film and whatnot. And then when it got handed over to Mark Andrews, like, what he did to do with the film after that but i guess we'll have to wait and see uh kind of segueing from that is that there was new concept art released for wreck it ralph featuring an animated likeness for john lassiter uh which which was was that which is actually pretty cool and i'm uh, i'm hoping it actually makes makes it into the film and it's funny he's wearing one of his like trademark Hawaiian print shirts, and if you did you uh, Mark, did you notice what was on the shirt? Yeah, if if you look at it really closely, it's the characters from Toy Story, like in silhouette on a shirt. So, I liked that. That was really cool. I'm definitely hoping that that makes it in, into the film in some way or fashion. But yeah, if you haven't seen that, definitely check that out. We posted it on our Facebook page, and you can or you can check it out the the Pixar Times as well. And the the next thing that happened this weekend, none of us got to go to it, but We've been following along the news from it. It was D23's Destination D, 75 years of Disney animated features, which it seemed like it was an awesome thing. They had panels with a bunch of the voice actors from different films. They, I saw that they had a panel with all the different actresses that have ever voiced Tinkerbell, which... Oh, wow. Wow. There, there hasn't really... Tinkerbell hasn't really had a, had a voice, as I can recall, for more than really more than these CG films other than like you know the sound effect that we get for tinkerbell <laughs> yeah because tinkerbell didn't talk in peter pan yeah i just i just thought about that but like may whitman is the current tinkerbell and like you may remember her from like arrested development or scott pilgrim but yeah and then dick van dyke was there there's so many different things that they did there and then they showed they actually screened paper man like we were talking about earlier and they screened some other stuff from Frozen that we, we haven't seen anything about before and that was exclusive to the event. So I definitely wish we could have been there to see some of this stuff, but definitely you can find news from this like on our Facebook page and like other spots online too. So if you were there, let us know what you thought about it and how awesome it was. And with that, they have an announcement that we're going to have, with Paranormal coming out this Friday, we're actually going to have a prize pack available. And... We're going to yeah. kind of come up with the the rules and whatnot for that over over this week and then officially announce how we're going to go about with that on our next episode, which will be all about Paranorman and Leica and all, all of their animated adventures. But 
Yeah, definitely. And, and the win- the winner for that will definitely have to thank you, Mark, for you know digging up these prizes too, because these are like exclusive, like right here. Yes, but... some of these are pretty cool. I mean, you you may have seen them somewhere on, online before, like some of them appear in the film like his toothbrush his slippers so and with that we're going to enter the bat cave and begin our discussion for batman uh which our leader in this is gonna gonna be jonathan because i found your your article about all of the best and worst in batman the other day and that's what made me want you to come on the show so definitely thank you for coming on to talk about this oh thank you that's on antiscribe.com, by the way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely check out his, his original article for it because it's it's great. It's got a bunch of YouTube videos for like the original like openings to these shows and the synopsis for the films and like behind the and yeah, to check out. So with that, the the first ever Batman film or not Batman film animated series was The Adventures of Batman or Batman with Robin the Boy Wonder. Uh, so what are your thoughts about, about the show, John? Uh, you know, it's one of those shows that kind of, you know, you'd think it's the first real Batman cartoon. You think it'd be kind of a bit of notoriety attached to it, but it really doesn't. It's kind of like a forgotten show. And I can't argue against that. Um, I mean, actually Stu, uh, you might remember the name better than I, he was head of DC animation for, was it Stu Schneider? Uh, he was head of DC animation for a decade. He was actually, he didn't even know the show existed. Um, but for the most part, it was a very, it was film done by filmation, um, which not, uh, not known for the best of quality, um, throughout right. a lot of their shows, but it really was just kind of there for that, is the best thing I could say about it. it. It really didn't, it came about when really at the tail end and even actually past the tail end after the Adam West show was kind of in its like popularity free fall. It was came at like the end of a fad, never had much nostalgia for that generation of viewers. So it never really, it never really found a home in syndication or anything along those lines. And, you know, it was supplanted in a few coming years by the Super Friends in terms of that. So it was just kind of, it's really kind of a forgotten show. It was on for two years. Um, not a lot of really complicated storytelling. The anime, the character designs are actually pretty solid, but the animation was not. It, it's, it wasn't much better or worse than anything else that was on the air at the time, but you know, it's just it was it's kind of forgotten show and you know it kind of deserves to be a forgotten show it's really it's only real significance is that it was the first animated batman yeah and kind of to go with this we we talked about this last week on the Hanna Barbera show that we did was that the batman and robin from this series actually would appear in the the new scooby doo movies crossover mm. when when they came on that and then when they were on super friends and whatnot but yeah Owen Sewell and Casey uh, Casey uh, Casey yeah. Casey <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Case case Miss Robin. Uh, and that's that's where a lot of like some of them came from the the Adam West show like the Holy Cow Batman like you know those things yeah, but yeah it's definitely that that era of Batman that that 60s campy Batman. There's definitely like an it, you know you definitely see the influence of all these complicated death traps you see on the show that came right out of the 60s, the 60s series. And and now the show is actually on iTunes too. So if if you are interested in looking it up and maybe just previewing like part of an episode on there, and you can check it out and see if if it's something that you might enjoy too. Going on Amazon f- too. Oh yeah, Amazon the the Unbox. I think so. Yeah. Right. The going from that, I remember Super Friends being on Cartoon Network when I was young because they were 
replay on there, and then Olin, Sewell, and Casey Kasem stayed on as Batman and Robin for this. Huh. I remember there's different iterations of Super Friends, though, because there were some of them that had like certain members of Super Friends, and they got rid of half of them, and then they had the Wonder Twins on there. <laughs> yeah, it oh, was boy. the show of like a thousand names, but they all involved the word Super and Friends in them in some form or another. It was... Uh... Super Friends, Challenge of the Super Friends, the Super Friends Hour. Um, Super Friends started, Power Hour. Super Friends Power Hour. Um, then, you know, just the Super Power Show, the legendary Super Power Show. Um, but Wasn't it, it called it was, Defenders of the Galaxy at one point? Something like that. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, it went through a done. I, I mean, the most infamous is, like, I think the 1978 season, Challenge of the Super Friends. That was the one with uh, oh, the le- literally, like, the Super Friends against the Legion of Doom. Um, okay. And they were some really just insanely cockamamie plots you wouldn't, that would never pass muster today, but that's kind of their charm. Um, in regard to Batman on this show, you know, I, I said this in the piece, he really, there was, the show wasn't big on character development. It was, they got, it was, Hanna-Barbera gave DC an opportunity to publicize their shows, and, you know, they, Hanna-Barbera kind of put their spin on it. They always, I, I guess you put in, shoved in these gateway characters, these, like, you know, audience surrogates you had wendy and marvin who were like you know superheroes in training at first and then you had the wonder twins or these two this is dan and jana i never get their names right who are always uh who had like the you know they would touch and like one would turn into a white animal the other one turned to water um and eventually they gave it up <laughs> um but for the most part huh. it, it was a show that sort of like actually as it went along and it was it was on the air for over a decade i mean this was a show of yeah that touched a few different generations of kids um, yeah. it, it got more serious as it went along, and by the time it got to that like superpowers age, it actually was turning into I wouldn't say a sophisticated show, but one that wasn't complete treated its characters as a complete joke. And this is definitely one of, one of the animated series I remember from when, when I was a little kid, or like the re the reruns of it, because I mean, not when it first aired, but yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I mean I remember remember all like the legion of doom from that and that, that's like where i first started getting into like superman and batman so i have to thank the show for that at least of getting me into those characters and then eventually we'll get get to this in a bit but batman the animated series would actually get me even more into batman and whatnot so yeah, it really introduced an entire generation and kept in like you know in their mindset all these famous dc characters and then, you know we look at things like the batman movies and the superman movies super friends in a lot of respects were just as important i mean they kept these characters in popular culture and in like the popular mind. So it, it's kind of like a show you look back on and like you ask, you know, we ask ourselves nostalgically what we were thinking and our children will probably ask us what the hell we were thinking, but it was a culturally significant show. Um, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's iconic stuff. I mean, yeah, they even incorporated that into the later justice league, uh, um, cartoon and justice league unlimited. They, they had the, the giant Vader helmet the uh, oh, yeah. yeah, it was it was really cool. I mean, yeah, it was cheesy, but you know, at the time, it was really fun. I mean, I'm, I mean, I the most thing that that stands out in my mind is obviously you know Batman and Robin and 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 also Superman. Mm, <laughs> but too. but now, you know, like you said, looking back on it, you know, it's 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 not as cool now, but it was cool then. Yeah. yeah. Um, you, the one episode to see, and I, I linked to this on the site again, antiscribe.com. Um, they, one of the last show, shows in the last season was actually treated as a gateway, a backdoor pilot, hopefully for a new Batman series. Never was take, never took off. 
but it was written by Alan Burnett, who was a later producer and key writer and mover and shaker on Batman the Animated Series and definitely held an influence on there. It was an episode called The Fear. Um, it's significant because it was actually the first time Batman's origin story was ever, you know, presented outside the realm of the comic books. And for just, especially compared to, like, you compared to the earlier seasons of the Super Friends, it was an especially dark episode. Um, it never, it didn't show Bruce Wayne's parents getting killed, but it implied it very strongly, and it got the point across. And yeah, th by that time, it, it should worth mentioning Adam West had actually taken over the part of voicing Batman. Uh, Olin Sue was pretty much in partial retirement by that point. But uh, I have the link on the site. It's actually it's a really interesting, curious thing to look at and just see, especially because you know as a precursor in many ways to the later Batman the animated series. Yeah. And kind of segueing from that, going into the next series, The New Adventures of Batman, which had Batman voiced by Adam West, and then Burt Ward as as Robin again. And that show only had like a, like, like like six-month time period. Yeah, it was on, it had 16 episodes. It was, you know, a one-season, you know, Saturday morning flop, more or less. Um, With Batmite. Yeah. Uh, I think I, I, think I remember seeing this at one time, yeah. Um, I had heard of it. I didn't actually see it until it came out on DVD a few years ago. It was worse than anything I could have ever imagined. Um, this is this is an infamously bad show. It's terrible. Um, you know, it, it's it was very it was very much like the iconically bad filmation series. Um, repetitive animation. It oh it shoehorns that character Batmite. Filmation was notorious for showing shoving in these kid-friendly characters who would be usually ridiculously out of place in the serious story going on around them, and Batmite was the perfect example of that. Um, but <laughs> it, it was just a really... It wasn't even a juvenile show, it was just a puerile one. It, it really... It had these terrible gags. I mean, the first episode, the one of the first gags was Robin, you know, making Bruce, like, dinner that's, like, peanut butter and sardine <laughs> sandwiches. It's like... What? Yeah. <laughs> the thing with kids is, like, it, it's, you know, they want to, even if they want to see surrogate young characters, they really want to look up to really badass superheroes. And this series did not understand that at all. Um, and it's it's hated. It's maligned. It's, you know, I think it's, you could argue that you think it's so bad you think Joel Schumacher must have had something to do with it. But, uh, <laughs> That's what it, Batman and Robin is based off of. You can make that argument, um, but uh, up there with Batman and Robin, you could say this is like this is the worst Batman ever. Uh, and then I want I, I want to say like these versions of the characters in like these animated series is if anyone's ever I'm sure everyone's has watched Saturday Night Live is that uh, Saturday TV Funhouse on that when they do the ambiguously gay duo, that's that's what these ver these versions of Batman and Robin are yeah. are based on. <laughs> yeah. right. I wow. believe it. I believe it. But yeah, that, that's a whole different discussion. But and then and that's probably where like all like those different uh, uh, rumors started coming up with like Batman and Robin like during that time period too. So, well, the you know, it, was during, it was during that it was during that campy '60s Batman you know era. It was it wasn't something that was just in in TV. It was in the comics too. He was into experimenting. It was the '60s. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that. <laughs> You know, that thread goes through Batman up to this day. I mean, um, you know, there's always there's always been a gay subtext to Batman. Nowadays, it's actually interesting because the writers actually own up to it, and they've actually transferred it to, like, being Batman and the Joker have this weird homoerotic relationship. But um, in terms of that, I, as I was mentioning this episode before of the Superpower Show, that's again on the website, um, 
it's actually very funny because there's there's a scene in there where Robin is actually avoiding talking to this girl at a party. And he's like, absolutely, he's hiding in the kitchen from her. It's like, really, why is Robin hiding from, you know, perhaps an attractive girl of his own age? It's kind of gives you pause. <laughs> I actually want to watch this out of curiosity now because it actually sounds pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, with that, uh, going into the holy grail of all Batman animated series, Batman the Animated Series that was on from oh, yes. 1992 to 96, but... The continuity of that would actually go on all the way up until 2006. To, so, yeah. yeah. Uh, Kevin Conroy as Batman. Uh, Mark Hamill as the Joker. The show actually created the character of Harley Quinn, which has now been throughout the comics and video games and whatnot. And Kevin Smith has even named his daughter after Harley Quinn. But... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, wow. and and actually, they're rerunning this now on the Hub, which that's a that's a great channel in of itself because it replays all these old cartoons. It's like it's like another awesome, maybe somewhat better version of Cartoon Network now because it's playing like a bunch of '80s and '90s cartoons that I remember. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, actually, yeah, is... I, yeah, I, I was just sorry. Uh, I was just about to say, I actually don't. Like I don't know what I can say about this about this animated series that hasn't been said already. I mean, it's I mean, if there was ever perfection in animated series, it would be this one. And it, because it's one of the few animated series to be nominated for Emmys, uh, it's, it's it's the voice acting is incredible. The the stories that they that, that they told every week were dark. They knew that Batman was dark, and they never shied away from that just because it was a uh, a, a kids show. I mean, Bruce Tim actually got WB to agree to using bullets on the show, yeah. which is yeah. wow. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, what can you say about this show that hasn't been said already? And then, like Bruce, this kind of started Bruce Bruce Tim's uh, great career of doing animated series like this because he would go on to do like the Superman animated series that was very much in the same continuity as the show and then this would go on to be like bet um the new batman adventures batman beyond and then the justice league and justice league unlimited shows were all part of the same continuity so it just it launched like this entire universe from this one show yeah <laughs> this show was i think in the, you talk about the meta sense of just animated television and animation in general this you know there was before batman the animated series there was after Batman the Animated Series, and it was the first show to really advertise itself as not a cartoon, but an animated series. And it took itself it took itself very seriously, but it it still brought in a lot of the charm of animation. It was it was kind of amazing. Yeah, if you look at the animation itself, it's not realistic like you would expect a Batman cartoon to be, but it is it's realistic enough to be grounded, but also deeply expressive enough to be a cartoon. Um, it, it really is. It's you know I. I Sometimes you could almost be too hyped for some people, um, but it, it really was one of the best cartoons ever. It, it segued into what we see a lot of the more serious story arcs you see in, especially superhero animated television, but just animated television in general. Like the, it didn't or start the story arc thing. That was probably more X Men and Spider Man, but it really that sophisticated level of storytelling, something almost every animated series has sort of chased since then. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and just. It was also the 
or the previous generation was also like the culmination of that like and at the time it's not that way today but at the time it was like you know you come home after school or you know before you go to school and there'd be cartoons on on over the air channels and this was sort of like the big last gasp of that era it would it was really like shows like gi joe or darkwing duck or you know the oh, real yeah. ghostbusters what have you i mean this was like the culmination of that because this this took everything those shows did and just took it to a far more sophisticated level um if you have if you are someone who is listening to this and you have not seen the heart of ice episode it is one of the most influential and important you know animated television shows in the last you know 30 years of american television and it's and something also influenced the character of mr freeze into the, into the comics because they actually took this origin and recently just in the comics just recently turned it on its head and oh, yeah, yeah i mean so much about the animated they, series influenced a lot of Batman knows. Oh, it, it completely resurrected the character. Mr. Freeze was, like, offed in the 1970s as kind of active symbolism by the Joker to say, like, well, we're not doing it anymore. But Paul Dini um, just completely rewrote the origin. And it's one of those episodes where you are, at the end of the episode, you are rooting for Batman to not stop Mr. Freeze. Um, it's It was really emblematic of what the show did very well. The show really got inside the heads of its villains um some of the best episodes of that show were really almost villain centric the episode in the mad hatter is superb it's you know it's mad hatter is like the lovelorn guy in love with the girl who will never love him back and, you know we've all been there but of course he took it to an unhealthy yeah. extreme um yeah. the two-face episode is fantastic the clay face you know two-part episode is fantastic um it, it's it really is was one of the most sophisticated most superb shows you do not have to be a Batman fan to like Batman and appreciate Batman the animated series. I've shown this to ex-girlfriends who, you know, hate comic books and hated the fact that I had any having interest in comic books, and they, you know, they were crying at the end of the Mister Freeze episode. It's <laughs> it, and I, as you guys say, I can't heap superlatives on it enough. It was a masterpiece of television. It was a moment of time, and, and you know, you could speak to its influence for the next fourteen years, but it was really for three years. It was you know, comic book fan, superhero fan. Animation fan Nirvana. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, so some of my favorite episodes of this series, you know, you're mentioning all these great episodes. Um, I really enjoyed, and to me, um, on, um, on animation or, you know, just on screen ever, I think the best portrayal of Robin slash Dick Grayson to ever grace the screen. That, that episode that was part of that Batman series, Man Power Hour, where they explained why um, Robin would go from being Robin, Batman's sidekick, to doing his own thing as Nightwing. I think that that was really well explored in that episode, and I really enjoyed yeah, yeah. watching it. I mean, I mean, Lauren Lester did an awesome job as Dick Grayson. I mean, oh my gosh, I, I really, I mean, I think Robin's Reckoning was nominated for an Emmy, wasn't it? It was. It was actually a really interesting episode because, like you know, the one I mentioned earlier, Superman, it the it was had the strong implication that Ryan, you know, Robin's parents were killed, which was still kind of a taboo at the time. That was actually first aired in prime time on Sunday night at 7 p.m. because they did not feel comfortable showing it at 4:30 on a weekday afternoon. But it, yeah, it's absolutely that two part is absolutely one of the best you know best parts of the show. It, it was it was amazing, and you had uh, God, I'm blanking the guy's name. Biff Tannen voicing uh, Tony uh, Zuko, the guy Tom who Wilson. murdered Robin. Yes, uh, Wilson. It, it, it just you know, or Tom Wilson. Sorry. Um, 
And it's, you know, it, it's a masterpiece of an episode. Um, one I would really, it's almost worth checking out in just, I can't believe they got away with that, is the Harley and Ivy episode. Um, it, it's infamous because it was really, it was full of just, full of actually, you know, to be blunt, lesbian overtones. Um, it was about Harley Quinn, you know, getting fed up and leaving the Joker and then basically setting up house with Poison Ivy. And there's one very infamous sequence in it where basically it's kind of implied fellatio, to be honest. Um, the Joker grabs Poison Ivy's face and shoves it into his his little you know, acid flower, and she's like, ah, it doesn't affect me. <laughs> it's like the, some of the subtext, some of just the imagery and the story in that show, it's, not, it's something that no one has ever dared go near since. Uh, it's kind of just it's not one that probably one of the best episodes of the series but you just sort of like you know if you know what you're looking for you're picking your jaw off the floor half the time but um to speak to the voice acting on the show kevin conroy um his was really like he sets the gold not only set the gold standard for voicing batman but he really added a psychological dimension to it and it's something you probably don't even pick up the first few times watching the show but he voices bruce wayne and batman as if they were two different people, yeah. which was really emblematic of where the comic was going at the time of being Batman is sort of like, you know, Bruce Wayne is sort of Batman's mask. Um, but it was also like the first show that really, there were occasionally you get famous people on doing voices on the bat on, you know, various television shows, you know, Adam West doing Batman on Super Friends. But this was the show that really, it, it really touted how great a voice cast it had. And had a fantastic voice cast. You had like yeah. Roddy McDowell as the Mad Hatter, you had Richard Mull as Two-Face, you had Paul Williams as the Penguin. You had David Warner as Ra's al Ghul. And I, I, I can't even, I, Liam Neeson could do Ra's al Ghul. Uh, he's the only person I've ever accepted besides that doing Ra's al Ghul. Yeah. Um, and just up and down. Whenever I think of Ra's al Ghul, I think of David Warner. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Detective. Uh, um, but, yeah. and Michael Ansar as Mr. Freeze. It, it's, and of course, you can, you know, Mark Hamill is the Joker. Um, yeah. Mark Hamill, you know, he set the standard as the Joker. When you think of the Joker laughing, uh, maybe in recent years you can think of Heath Ledger, but uh, I will always think of Mark Hamill's laugh as the Joker. I mean, and he, and he used the laugh so well. Uh, and, you know, when he talk, he used the laugh as a way of, like, really conveying the character. He used laughter like dialogue almost. It's one of the best vocal performances you'll hear. You know, he and Conroy both. Some of the best vocal work you'll ever hear on an animated television show. And then, mm -hmm. kind of from that, with the Mask of the Phantasm, that that was originally that was going to be on like a straight to DVD film that they were doing, but then, well, VHS uh, at the time. Oh yeah, yeah, VH, yeah VHS. <laughs> uh, but like Warner Brothers saw it and liked it so much that they ended up giving a theatrical release, which was kind of unprecedented for something like that. And I, I remember when this came out in theaters, and I want to say that I saw it in theaters. But it's kind of cool. It gives like a back, it goes into Batman's back or Bruce Wayne's backstory, and gives like flashbacks and like showing him donning the, becoming the mask or becoming the mask, donning the mask of the Batman for the first time and like different things emphasizing like his dual identity as Batman. And it, was, it really tells. I, I go on. I was just. It was another had like a, a great. Uh, soundtrack to it as well, like the score and whatnot. Uh, yeah, but I mean, it's worth mentioning that in the animated series, Shirley Walker, she didn't do all the scores, she but she was the overseer for a lot of the scores. Just some of the best, uh, some of the best scores you'll ever hear. Not not necessarily just an animated television, just period. I mean, they were they were masterpieces. They she did that you know afternoon cartoon show to being something almost 
you felt like you were watching a movie anytime you watched that show because of her musical scores. And, and that's true, you know, all the more so in Mask of the Phantasm. I think she even said it was her favorite work. Um, Mask of the Phantasm, I, I called it on my piece, I think I called it like The Last Temptation of Bruce Wayne, which is kind of what it is. Um, it's a really unique take on the origin story of Batman. We always see Batman, like, you know, his parents getting murdered, him going up to train. We've seen that Batman Begins. This one was really like after that's all done. He comes back to Gotham City. He's trying to figure out, okay, how do I make people appreciate me? And he actually gets the chance to possibly not even become Batman because he has a chance to find true love. It's a really, it's a really deep and excellent story. Unfortunately, it eventually has to become a superhero story at some point. So the rest of it, when it comes into you know the Phantasm, who is infamously not even referred to as the Phantasm in the movie. Um, when it gets to that part, it starts to peter out. But that actual backstory of Batman is like that's it gets to what a lot of us really do like about comic books is that these strong, fascinating characters who have these epic, grandiose stories and just like the human dimension to them. And it captures that very well. Unfortunately, it eventually becomes just you know Batman against the Joker with a little more blood than they could show in the cartoon. But it's an absolutely a movie worth seeing. It actually, it was even last year, I'm forgetting who actually wrote up the top 10, but I'm Time's top 10 superhero films of all, all time. This actually fell number eight. Um, I don't think I would put it that high. I don't think I'd even put it on top 10. But it it's, was more than just another episode of the animated series. It started to be a bit more. It's actually also notorious because it was actually the least successful Batman feature film ever released. It made less than, it had a $6 million budget. That actually didn't even on Christmas 1993, I believe. Yeah, it must have been. 93 and was kind of a bomb i didn't see it in theaters i didn't actually even get a chance to it was gone so quickly yeah going from that the next film that they released was batman and mr freeze sub-zero which was actually delayed because of the live action batman and robin movie because of mr freeze being in that and then it actually then when it did come out it actually got better reviews from critics than batman and robin did and probably because God's goes to camp got better reviews than Batman and Robin did. Oh, yeah. But yeah, and then the fact that this movie was a better film than that. It's actually got a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes, too. Uh, and then, like you were talking about, the this uh, episode of the series going with Mr. Freeze, this kind of goes off of that as well, with this film being just as good as that episode. And then uh, this is I... an, another one that I remember watching in theaters, too. Uh, this one wasn't in theaters. It wasn't? Actually, this, oh, yeah, it was, yeah, a, yeah, it was a DVD. VHS, maybe DVD. Um, I wasn't as big a fan of this one. Um, I, I think the problem they had with Mr. Freeze is that once they did him, they really should have never brought him back because no episode they were ever going to do was going to hold up to Heart of Ice, and this one didn't. Um, no. I, I just thought that this one really felt like it was like an extended episode of the animated series, and not an especially good episode of it. Um, yeah, I, this one I thought was always a bit of a letdown for me. I was not... This is one you can generally, for, unless you're a really huge Mr. Freeze fan, um, you could really skip this one. I wasn't a huge fan of this one. It, it did, interestingly, though, try to combine some computer animation more fluidly with the very much the two-dimensional style of the animated series. Sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't, but it was it was interesting that they tried it. Yeah, And then the next thing after this would be like the first spinoff of the animated series, which was the new Batman Adventures. But actually, if you you buy the the DVDs of the animated series now, it's actually Volume Four of Batman the Animated Series. But uh, yeah, but they subtitled New Batman Adventures. Yeah, <laughs> from the the New Batman Adventures. 
And that, speaking, it was sort of a different show. Um, yeah. it, it's it had a completely different animation style. It, you know, it's mm-hmm. partially because of budget, partially because they wanted to blend it in with the Superman anime series. So it was a lot lighter. Um, the character designs were a lot more cartoony. I thought they were, and all across, I thought it was generally down animation wise. Um, but the episode you talked about earlier, um, was it Tim? Yes. I, you talked about with uh, you know Robin's transition Nightwing is is part of this series, and it's actually and I agree with you, it's a superb episode. There's also another episode where you know you're supposed to believe Batgirl dies and Mr. Gordon goes on a rampage hunting Batman once and for all. Um, but there are a lot of great episodes in this series. There's also some, and there's another classic one that everyone should see. Um, it's called Legends of the Dark Knight, which is basically it tells its children, you know, talking about what I they think Batman one. is. Yeah, it has one, it has three, I think it has two, actually, two uh, segments in it, and then finally gets back to the real world Batman, which is kind of a letdown. But the first one is very much a tribute to the old 1950s Dick Sprang. And actually, the original filmation, Adventures of Batman, is really a, a cute little tribute to that. And, you know, you have an actor who sounds exactly like Owen Sula. I don't remember who they got to do it. But they got Michael McKean to do Joker as a really old-fashioned, you know, very, you know, huh. gag-oriented Joker. It's absolutely excellent. And then the second segment, which we have coming out in the next month, we have Batman and the Dark Knight Returns, the anime movie. It was actually, a, you know, a five-minute tribute to the Dark Knight Returns. It was, you know... Yeah, apparently drove Frank Miller completely wild. He absolutely loved it. Um, but it's a great. It's you know, there's some truly great episodes in this little series, but I actually think some of the worst episodes of both series are also in this one as well. There are some genuinely bad episodes. And one thing that I, I think it's worth mentioning about Batman the animated series and this series, and why I think the series wasn't so great, the first as great as the first one at least. Um, the animated series never shied away from showing, like, the detective side of Batman. It wasn't always Batman fighting supervillains. It was sometimes Batman really, you know, facing off again, trying to solve murder mysteries and gangsters. And this series was almost entirely about, like, Batman fighting supervillains, um, which was fine. I mean, it's what we expected Batman. But I, I always thought that the original animated series really got those extra dimensions of Batman much, much better. And then, what I always liked yeah. about, about Robin's reckoning is that, you know, it wasn't... Two Face or somebody like that who who killed uh, Robin's parents. But it was it was a kind of a, just a, a gangster guy, which totally was, played with yeah. the detective angle of Batman. That's it, what I it, wasn't even that great, it wasn't even a good gangster. He was like a punk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, then, and, and that's what I like. Like I said, it's been a while since I've seen it, but uh, but but like I said, like you said, you know, the detective angle of Batman was always played in the animated series, and that's why. I, a lot of people's favorite Batman is Kevin Conroy because it had that detective angle to it. Hmm. Yeah, and then the next series that would come after this would be Batman Beyond. But kind of talking about Kevin Conroy, that Con- Kevin Conroy, really quick, is that he played with the way that he did Batman. He did Batman's voice as Bruce's actual voice, and then like Bruce is actually like his his mask more or less and that's his, his fake voice and like I, m- I remember seeing an interview somewhere that uh kevin conroy did that saying that's what the problem he had with christian bell's version of the batman voice whereas like he didn't he didn't like how ra- like the way he he chose to do it that way instead of i guess the way that he did it but yeah yeah i i i didn't Bale's voice has never bothered me as much as some people. It bothers some people, but it's one of those things I don't pick that argument. <laughs> I won't disagree with anyone who has a problem with that voice. It's uh, a little over the top. 
Yeah. So and then Batman Beyond was another. It was basically Batman in the future. Uh, Bruce is super old. It's I want. I don't remember what year it was supposed to take place in, but I just know it was like set off in the future. And it was he, forty years, uh, give or take, after the animated series. They never said a year or anything because right. never said a year with the animated series. Uh, and then Bruce is handing down the mantle of Batman to a new guy, Terry McGinnis, which is voiced by Wolf Friedle. If you watch Boy Meets World, he played Eric on Boy Meets World. Uh, and Kevin Conroy still does the voice of Bruce. And, I mean, I like this. I liked this I, a lot, I guess, when I watched it, because I was maybe of that, the right age of watching it to maybe maybe identify more with Terry McGinnis on the show than I did with Bruce Wayne on the animated series. I don't know. But I liked this a lot. And I remember at one point when they were going to actually do a live-action film I, I was super excited about that, of them doing a Batman Beyond movie, and that never ended up happening, but that would have been neat. And then they actually revisit Terry McGinnis in an episode of the Justice League Unlimited show called Epilogue, where mm-hmm. it, it kind of basically finishes off the continuity of of the Batman animated series, and I thought that was a great episode, too. Yeah, Let's not forget that's... the time travel episode of Justice League where they uh, revisited uh, Terry McGinnis also, where, where where both Bruce Wayne's get, get to meet and Terry McGinnis is there as well. Oh, yeah. that is, and Static that's Shock. One, that's one of the best episodes of that show because it's just old, young Batman meeting old Batman. It's just, it's it's hilarious. <laughs> yes, yes, but, it is. I meant so. Um, but this was this was an idea that when I first heard about it, I, it made me very like angry and irritated because it's such and it is it's such an obvious like you know a gimmick idea. Well, let's well we want to have a young Batman, so let's have a young teenage Batman in the future fighting with gadgets and what have you. But it's an idea that ended up working, and I, I say this in my piece because it had a lot of incredible talent behind it. Um, you know, yeah, Bruce, yeah, Bruce Tim, Paul Dini, and all the rest. But it, and you know Darwin Cook designed its title sequence, which is absolutely—it's an amazing piece of animation, just you know, uh, thematic animation. But this idea that worked kind of despite itself. Um, it was a teenage Batman, which kind of I, I think when I say that out loud is kind of ridiculous. Um, but it really it, it made it work because, and I think a large part was Kevin Conroy and how they portrayed Batman. They portrayed. Bruce Wayne is an 80-year-old man who had spent his life fighting evil, and he was old, alone, sort of grumpy, and, you know, not quite all there. I mean, he wasn't quite insane, but he's, he's, he's a bit wound, he's wound a bit too tight, and it really brought a great dynamic with that young teenage Batman who was uh, Terry McGinnis. Uh, like, he was, like, very rebellious and really kind of wanted balance having a his own actual life with being Batman. Well, Bruce, you know, Bruce Batman is all about, well, I'm Batman and Bruce Wayne is an identity. I come up with every once in a while. There's actually a great line in that show somewhere. Um, we're talking about masks where I think there's a villain who's trying to convince it's been years since I've seen it. There's a villain who's trying to convince that Bruce Wayne, he's going insane. So he's going, Bruce, Bruce. And Terry asks him at the end after they solved the entire thing, well, how'd you know you weren't really going insane, Bruce? It's like, well, the villain kept calling me Bruce, Bruce, Bruce. In my head, that's not what I call myself. Huh. It's, like, it's one of those, like, you know, ooh, yeah, that's, that's, it really, it, they, that for me was the old Batman that carried the show. It wasn't really the young Batman that did, but the dynamic between the young and old Batman absolutely worked. And it was a show, it lasted three years, had a good run, and it, it helped that they sort of had a blank slate to play with. They didn't really draw too 
do too many drawbacks to the old animated series or the old Batman villains. I, I think they had Mr. Freeze show up every once in a while. Um, and then they did the Return of the Joker film, too. Yeah. Which we can... Oh, the Return of the Joker film. I love yeah. that, 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 that movie. That's, that's it's probably one of my favorite um, direct-to-DVD slash video Batman films that they've done. I mean, Agreed. I seeing seeing Mark Hamill return to to the role was 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 wonderful, and and the actor who they play, had playing the old Tim Drake, oh who was he? Oh, Dean uh, Stockwell. Dean Stockwell. Yeah. yeah, Dean Stockwell was that was that was that was brilliant casting there, and and the twist at the end with with the Joker was was fantastic. I. And love that that movie, and the extended movie, the unrated edition, is actually pretty good as well. I, I believe they just put it out on Blu-ray, maybe like last yeah. year. I don't think it's the extended unrated though. I, oh. If I recall hearing at the time, you really have to see the extended unrated of this. It, it really it they, the thing I love about this, and it's it kind of gets to the darkness of Batman, but it what they they reveal what happened at the end of the new Batman Adventures, and it was sort of like it's the fills in the gaps between that and Batman Beyond. And what they actually show as happening with like Robin and Batgirl and Batman and the final fate of the Joker, it's actually kind of disturbing. I mean, especially like, you know, for characters you've followed for all these years and what have you. It's, it, I agree, it's one of my favorite straight to you know, DVD video animated movies. It's really, it, it's, it did everything that Batman Beyond did well. And you don't actually have to be familiar with Batman Beyond to like this movie. So I, if you don't want to see Batman Beyond, I do recommend seeing this movie. Um, it, and it really, it got to the core of this, you know, one of the most epic rivalries, you know, arch enemy relationships, whatever, call it what you will in pop culture, is Batman versus the Joker. And this was really one of the best examples of Batman versus the Joker you'll find. It really got to that obsessive nature of that relationship very, very well. Um, I can't recommend this one enough. It, you know, again, it was Mark Hamill doing the Joker again, but he was he was doing one of his probably one of his nastiest performances as the Joker. It really was very different from his animated series Joker, something much darker, much more you know sinister. So yeah, it, it's it's a great movie. It's absolutely worth going out of your way to see. It was unfortunately, I mean, the backstory on the extended edition, it was unfortunately censored, and I think it actually had something that might have been in the wake of Columbine huh. that it was censored. Um, they were trying to tone back violence and actually had a fans actually got a petition going to say, please release the original extended edition. Um, and they did. And it was, I think actually rated PG 13, but uh, it, it was, some, you know, they cut out some sexualized content too, but it, it's really worth going out its way to see the extended edition because of what it talks about. The backstory actually makes it far more disturbing. Interesting. But yeah. And then kind of going off of that with the next series that would, have Batman in them would be the Justice League and then the Justice League Unlimited, which would mm. still be within that same Batman animated series universe. And like I said, the epilogue that was part in that series and it kind of finishes off more or less that continuity of Batman with that. And then there's the Batman mystery of the Batwoman film that kind of takes place within that same animated series universe too. And those series are both great too, because it mixes the Superman animated series continuity with that Batman and Superman animated series continuity and you get all, all the characters together and it was, it was awesome and then you'd get Michael Rosenbaum as as the Flash who would eventually go on to be Lex on Smallville but and then okay. just different different people on there that was just really awesome 
Justice League was a re- Justice League was interesting. It started off kind of rocky. Um, actually, by the time we got through its second season, it was actually on the verge of being canceled, and they gave more chance. And they revamped it very well as Justice League Unlimited. Um, but Batman, you know, he was part of an ensemble, but he had a lot of great, you know, he had a lot of great episodes on that show. And it was really it was a darker Batman than you saw on the animated series. It was like a lot more. He had gotten a lot more grizzled, a lot more. You know, but, you know, the animated series Batman, you'd see smiling. The Batman on Justice League, you'd never see smiling. So it really got the character's development down very well. It's sort of becoming this sort of meaner, tougher style of Batman. And again, I can't, the, the epilogue episode, it's uh, a masterpiece. It was written by Dwayne McDuffie, who passed away last year. Um, it, it really, it was a perfect summation of like what at that point was pretty much 13 years of the animated series continuity. It was originally supposed to be the series finale of Justice League on them, but they actually got picked up for another season, which was another season basically making fun of the Challenge of the Super Friends show that I mentioned earlier. Um, but, it, it, yeah, it, it got Batman perfectly. He wasn't in every episode, but when he was in the episodes, he almost always sold, stole the show because he was such a fascinating, such a well-developed character. Justice League, it rocks. Yes. <laughs> Justice League was a good show. Then they did the Bat- Batman Mystery of the Batwoman. Which was uh, not. Yeah. So we'll just skip what over that. that? Well, I mean, I, was from... it take place in the animated series continuity or what? Mystery I... of the Batwoman. Yeah, it, it did. It was actually that was really the last gasp with the animated series itself. Um, Which kind of sucks think... that that's the last thing that that they put yeah, out related yeah. to it. It wasn't that it was necessarily bad. It was just it was tired. I mean, it was like it was an eleven-year-old idea, and it's kind of indicative that like you know good things have to come to an end. But it, you know, it's not anything worth going out of your way to see. Yeah. No. It's on Netflix for a while. Yeah, I, I remember I watched it and like I was getting kind of bored halfway through it and it just felt like a really long episode of the show that that could have yeah. just been maybe like 20 minutes rather than the 45 or 60 minutes it was. Yeah, I uh, agree. Uh, the next thing that they did was the Batman TV series, which was which was on the the WB and then the CW. <laughs> There's a lot of does in there. Um, and one of the appalling amount of Emmys for, for a show that I don't think was very good. Yeah, I'm, I don't. I remember Adam West did a voice somewhere on the show. I don't remember who exactly he did the voice for, but um, he, he did the mayor of Gotham. I never saw the episode. He's also he did a wonderful voice spot in the animated series. It's worth mentioning to go out your way to see it called Beware the Gray Ghost. It's, yeah, I was actually oh yeah, gonna, plays, gonna mention that. Yeah, like that, a, that's another episode that I love. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's he, a great it was, it was basically art imitating life. He played a guy who couldn't get work after playing a superhero 20, <laughs> on television 20 years earlier, but it was a superhero influenced Batman. And it was, and Bruce Tim actually played the villain on that episode, which was a cute little touch, but it, it was, it's a really wonderful tribute to like, you know, the legacy of Batman, how it goes from one generation to the next, to the next. But yeah, the Batman, uh, I hate this show so much. Um, <laughs> It's it's maligned with a lot of Batman fans because it, it really, it, not so much that it tried to make Batman trendy and hip, it's that it really took out a lot of what made Batman special. It, it's a very it's a very toyetic show. It's Every episode almost involves Batman wearing some kind of wacky costume to beat Mr. Freeze or someone else. It's no longer about, like, Batman solving mysteries or outwitting or out, you know, fighting his opponents. It's about Batman sort of, like, out-gimmicking them, more or less. Um, yes. Yeah, not not a not a show I recommend to anyone. It's you know the thing with the animated series. Look back on it now; it's still timeless. This one, it's 
less than eight years old, and it already feels oh, yeah. ridiculously dated. Uh, the character of Firefly was actually voiced by our friend Jason Marston. Oh, sweet. So that should uh, be give, give you a reason to watch it. And then there's actually some random, like, good voices, like, good voice actors on the show. Uh, like, Ron Perlman did the voice of Bane in the second appearance on the show. Wow. Uh, Clancy Brown does the voice of Mr. Freeze on the show. That is weird. <laughs> uh, Tom Kenny, who everybody may know as SpongeBob, did the, does the voice of the Penguin. Uh, Kevin Michael Richardson does the voice of the Joker, and then Robert England actually did the voice of the Riddler. Yeah, that's so, just creepy. That's kind of. I mean, the show got. All, I mean, at least, and oh, and Ron Perlman did the voice of the Killer Croc too. So the show at least got good voice actors with it. So. You know, like, Clancy Brown shouldn't be doing Mr. Freeze. I love Clancy Brown. I think he's fantastic. But it seemed like, you know, a lot of voice actors doing... And Tom Kenny was a good Penguin, too. And I actually never saw the Riddler episode. But it was, you know, voice actors doing parts which I didn't think they were suited for. I I was, like I said, I was not a really big fan of the show. I didn't like the character designs, the animation. Um, You know, again, I I wasn't really its target audience at the time. But, you know, I'm being a big Batman fan. I wanted to like the show, and... Good lord, I just couldn't. And the the Robin and and the Batgirl they had on were like super young. Yeah, and it's um, worth mentioning they actually couldn't even do Robin for the first like three or four years of the show because they had Teen Titans going on concurrently. And then was was the Robin on on the Batman supposed to be that same Robin that was on Teen Titans, or was this entirely different continuity? I I don't know. I assume it was a different continuity. Oh, I just saw this is that the the toy maker on the show was actually voiced by Patton Oswalt, so I thought that was kind of cool too. That's but, funny. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I mean, I I think I maybe watched I don't know maybe half of of like the first season, but I never watched all of this. But I mean, I might go back and watch some of it now because uh, Green Arrow was voiced by Chris Hardwick. What? What? Robert Patrick was Hawkman. Dermot Mulroney was Green Lantern. But oh man, I, I kind of want to watch season five now, just because Green Arrow was voiced by Chris Hardwick. <laughs> that really wasn't that good of a Batman series. But I mean, I, at least for the voice talent, there's plenty of greatness to go around for that. Uh, kind of going Re- from go ahead. Oh, little trivia: Rita Romero, I think that's how you pronounce his name. Um, the guy who did the voice of Batman, the only person ever voiced both Batman and Spider-Man. He did also Spider-Man on the uh, Spider-Man and uh, not Spider-Man animated series. Uh, what was that other one? Spider-Man oh, Unlimited. Thank you. And he also did in a few of the uh, Spider-Man video games too. But yeah. And then there was uh, Batman Gotham Knight, which was the first of the DC animated universe films, which. Uh, continuity is supposed to take place in between uh, Batman Begins and The Dark Knight, if I, I, if I remember correctly. Recently. I don't get it. It's horrible. It's terrible. <laughs> Kevin Conroy <laughs> is the voice of Batman in one of the in one of them again. It, it's it, it's kind of like the Matrix Revolutions, if you guys remember that, where it was like a bunch of different animation styles supposed to yeah. be like a like in between and oh, yeah, explain different true. things of the Matrix. This is kind of almost essentially what this Gotham Knight thing was. The problem with this was, and it was all set in the same continuity, in the same time, in the same space, but it's all different animation styles and character designs, which is jarring enough. Um, but it's it, the problem is, and I'm not I'm not a huge fan of anime, but I do like you know I like the Miyazakis, the Studio Ghiblis, and what have you. 
this is kind of a, it was done by different manga houses. Each segment was done by a different manga house. And it really, it's an excellent example of transposing everything that works about manga, um, anime, and everything that doesn't work about anime. Um, but what really, this was a, was kind of a wasted opportunity. I talked about the episode from the new Batman Adventures, where they had different perspectives of Batman through the years, and they did those nods to him, like the old Dick Sprang drawings, and also, you know, Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns. This was an opportunity to do that, but instead they tried to shoehorn it into between Batman Begins and the Dark Knight, which of course we're going to just ignore it anyway. Um, yeah, and, and this, didn't they do a Legends of the Dark Knight segment in that movie? Kind of? They did, yeah, they did something similar to it, and it wasn't good. <laughs> yeah, terrible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and the next Batman thing was the, the series Batman the Brave and the Bold, which I've recently been going back and watching with with my son and i liked this where it, it's kind of like on a lighter tone batman and kind of goes back to like that golden era batman and Diedrich bader who if anybody watched the drew carey show remember as oswald uh does the voice of batman so that that's what threw me off originally that Diedrich bader was doing the voice of like what oswald from drew carey uh, <laughs> Uh, I will always remember him as Warp Dark Matter from Buzz Lightyear of Star Command, but that's just me. Oh, yeah, him too. Uh, <laughs> and then John DiMaggio does voice. Will Friedle does the voice in here. And I want to say Will Friedle did this, does the voice of the Green Arrow in this. And then Tom Kenny does the voice in the show as well. And Or no, uh, Will Friedle does the voice of um, Blue Beetle. That's right. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I like this. It's it's cool like how each and every episode he kind of teams up with a different character and fights completely random uh, rogue gallery characters that you, the musical ha- like half people. Is oh yeah, the, the musical episode. Music Meister is awesome with Neil Patrick Harris. <laughs> Neil Patrick Harris. Yeah. Yes, yes. Like Matt, def- if you haven't watched the show, definitely download that episode and watch that, and then download <laughs> the soundtrack and watch it. Okay. I mean, not, don't, do. don't watch the soundtrack. I mean, listen to the soundtrack. Listen to the soundtrack. <laughs> but, yeah. this, this show is fun because it, it really is a throwback to that old 1950s, 1960s version of Batman, which you don't see enough of anymore. I mean, we love, you know, it's you know, in, in the modern time to look at Batman as like, you know, the Dark Avenger, the, um, the guy with daddy issues, the guy who's really traumatized, what have you. This was really a nice. Th- the show's entirety is a nice throwback to when Batman was like, you know, a kid superhero and someone who was you could have fun watching. Um, it's also a really sophisticated show. It's very aware of the fact that it is not, you know, everyone's idea of Batman, and that it's it's really, and that it is somewhat tweaking with some people's expectations of Batman. It really, the show breaks the fourth wall all the time, especially like you know, yeah. the fact it has musical sequences and what have you. But it's a really smart show. It's a show that I generally think kids would enjoy, and their parents would probably enjoy just as much. Especially if you know you have a second generation Batman fan in your house. It's like you know, yeah, it. it, it I was going to just say something about, like, the great thing about the series finale of the show is that, like, the way that they use Batmite on the show is actually, like, like a pretty ingenious way. Yeah. And, and the, they end the show with Batman joined by, like, most of the series characters in the Batcave as it's being taken down. And they yeah. break the fourth wall and he talks to the audience. And they all say their farewells and with the characters behind him. So, I, I think really, that, it was a really good finale, yeah. It's cool that they were able to do a finale like that and that they knew that they were doing that so that they could. It's it's always awesome when a, a show gets a series finale that they actually know is their series finale so they can address it in that way. They had a great episode yeah. of the show, too, called... And it's, again, it's one of those shows that's a real tribute to Batman's animated legacy. It was called Chill of the Night. 
And it was an adaptation of the, usually bundled as one of the greatest Batman stories ever told, but from the Silver Age where Batman hunts down the people who killed, actually did kill his parents. Um, but it was written by Paul Dini. It had guest spots from Kevin Conroy, Mark Hamill, Richard Maul, who did Two-Face in the animated series, but also Adam West, Bruce Wayne's parents. Um, but it's absolutely worth checking out. It's completely out of tone with the rest of the series. It's the only episode I don't think Batman actually is teaming up with another superhero. That was the entire gimmick of the series, based on the Brave and the Bold. It was, you know, Batman teaming up with another superhero, as part, of, you know, similar to the Brave and the Bold comic. It was the only comic, the only episode of the series that didn't do that. And it's, you know, if you're a Batman fan, it's absolutely worth checking out. Yeah, uh, and then basically we're gonna segment like these next few films together. They're all part of the DC animated universe was Superman, Batman, Public Enemies, Superman, Batman, Apocalypse, Justice League, Crisis on Two Earths, and then Batman Under the Red Hood. Out of those four, I would say Under the Red Hood was the best one. And this kind of segues back to us talking about Supernatural earlier. Jensen Ackles does the voice of of Robin in this, who becomes, spoiler, the Red Hood. and I liked how dark this one was, and I liked the animation style for that. And I want to say, uh, I don't remember what his name is off the top of my head, but the guy who does the voice for Batman in this series, I mean, or this film, actually is do. Uh, what the hell is his name? Uh, Bruce Greenwood. He does the he does the voice of of Batman on Young Justice now, I think. Yeah, um, this is the best Batman since the animated series, animated wise at least. Um, yeah, yes. it's it's an excellent adaptation of the Under the Red Hood storyline from the comic books, which, yeah, brought Jason Todd back as the criminal Red Hood instead of... And, and, and you know, John DiMaggio also does a fantastic Joker on this show. Uh, just a, re- a really, really creepy, really unsettling Joker, I thought was pretty magnificent. Um, but the, yeah. entire, the entire movie is actually worth going out of your way to see. I think it's like it's probably the best animated Batman since probably, like, you know, Return of the Joker. Maybe even just... Yeah, yeah I mean... The opening scene, which featured the death of Jason Todd, mm-hmm. is, oh, it's so jarring. It's so creepy. It's so dark. I mean, it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and the, fi- the final battle between those two, which is a great, you know, as an action scene is great, but just in terms of the dialogue, this really gets, like, the deep philosophical nature of Batman. And you can we can talk about things like Immanuel Kant and what have you, but Batman's very much, you know, the Diental, the what's called deontological ethics he's the guy who will not kill against the guy who will kill you know who's his own protege it it really is an incredibly sophisticated piece of work um just going back to superman batman they might as well be called like superman guest starring batman they're not really batman stories so they're you know they're okay the apocalypse one the one with supergirl is actually not bad um but that yeah like you said that one is Way more heavy, like 80% Superman, maybe 20% exactly. Batman. It's a Superman versus Dark Side story. Um, yeah. Justice League Crisis on Two Earths, I do strongly recommend. I think it was actually the least successful financially of the DC anime movies so far, but it was a Dwayne McDuffie script. Um, really worth seeing for was playing, you know, his doing the voice work on Owl Man. Oh, yeah. It's a really well written character, and it's, you know, it's James Woods, the guy who can play a villain in his sleep, but he does a really good job with it. But Owl Man, for those who don't know, is like Batman's like alternate universe doppelganger and it's it's a really great final battle between batman and owl man that's again it's great dialogue and has one of my favorite batman lines of all time it's kind of a reference back to nietzsche and the abyss but uh, <laughs> but it's i absolutely recommend going out of my way to see that one and owl man is not to be confused with night owl from the Wat from watchman please no, yeah no. please separate i think uh but yeah that's, those are some of 
the DC animated films. And the next one would be Batman Year One, which is based on Frank Miller's graphic novel, which which is more, more or less a Commissioner Gordon story than it is a, a Batman story, because Batman, even though it's called Batman Year One, it really focuses on Commissioner Gordon for the most part, I want to say. I actually have a very long form review of this on my site. Um, I, I didn't I didn't think this was very good. And I'm a huge fan of Batman Year One, the original comic. This is just an example of where, like, you know, they try to be faithful to the to the original work and they completely failed to get yeah like almost to a fault where it's like that that close to the comic where like they could have taken some leeway with it so it's more cinematic because it's it's not a comic book so some stuff that works in a comic book doesn't work yeah in a a movie yeah i talk about a lot of what they worked in the comic book what carried the comic book was the first person narration between gordon and batman and they had to cut out 90 percent of it for this therefore what happened on screen isn't as dynamic because you don't hear a lot of that same narration. Um, they also cleaned it up too much. The original comic was this almost this masterpiece of just urban grime, just like in grays and blacks. And like the backgrounds in this are almost like bright, shiny Las Vegas. They're, they show blue skies in one, one scene in this one. It's okay. like, yeah, that should not be happening in this movie. Yeah, this was a real disappointment. Um, I thought, um, who played Gordon? Oh my God. Brian, uh, Brian Cranston. Brian Cranston, thank you. Um, I'm I breaking bad recording as we're speaking. <laughs> <laughs> Me too, um, sir. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, he did a great job. You know, he did a really good job as Gordon, but the, almost everyone else was miscast. Um, Elijah Dishku was. He, she can oh, do yeah. Catwoman. There was a good, the, great Catwoman short on, on that same Blu-ray of that too, which I, I liked a lot. True, but she can she can do Catwoman, and that's a great example of her doing cat, very good Catwoman. But Miller's Catwoman was very. Um, butch, shall we say? You know, there was Bob again, obvious lesbian undertones. She cannot be playing that character. Um, the guy they got to play Batman, I don't even remember. Was it Mackenzie something? Yeah, I think so. Um, all wrong for the part. It, it was it was a really disappointing thing. It, one of the things with the DC animated movies, they've been very overall inconsistent. Oh, Elijah Dishku was a very uh, you know she could do a Catwoman. She does Catwoman very well in that short. Um, it was a real disappointment. And, you know, it's kind of honestly emblematic of a lot of the, you know, recent DC animated movies. They've been very, very hit and miss and kind of inconsistent. So going from, from Batman year one, and I go to a completely different thing. Matt's going to talk about this because he actually got to work on it was, is DC Super Friends Joker's Playhouse. I actually was working on the uh, Imagine X entertainment pieces, so which are, it's webisodes. And uh, they came to us with the DC Super Friends, and I was like, no way, we're going to do a DC Super Friends uh, episode. And, uh, you know, we only did uh, 3D at uh, the studio that we're doing within Fisher-Price. But uh, when we got, you know, the rumor that the Imagine X wanted to do a webisode for the DC Super Friends because they owned that license... Um, we got, you know, we all got really excited. We we're like, holy crap, this is going to be like a 3D episode. But um, of course, they uh, contracted it out to WB. So this might have flew underneath a lot of people's radars because it, it was never on TV. It was, you know, um, it wasn't a series or a film or anything. It's just, you know, a short one off webisode. Um, you guys will have to help me out with this, like where it falls within like the DC Friends, you know, uh, you know, continuum, like where it lands. So if you just, you know, check it out and see what you think. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I had a chance, you know, maybe work on it, but, uh, if you do check out the other, uh, Imagine X films too, cause I've worked on a lot of those, but, uh, yeah. So back to you guys. 
Cool. And is that kind of like like the um, the like the Fisher Price Little People type? Is that what they kind of look like in that webisode? Well, the the Little People is different from Imaginex. Uh, Imaginex is like a, a boys brand um, specifically, and okay. and they acquired the license for DC Super Friends, and actually like. Um, I'll find them randomly, like around, because they have like the prototype toys, and I'll get to decorate my desk with them. <laughs> so I actually spent the last two years collecting all the DC Super Friends like action figures. There's these little chunky like looking uh, guys. So I have like, how, I don't know how many different versions of Batman and like the Joker, Mister Freeze, the Penguin. So it's pretty cool. Cool. Uh, and then going from that, the next DC animated films that they did were Justice League Doom, and then first part. For some reason, they're splitting up the Dark Knight Returns into two different DC animated films for probably reason to make more money again. Uh, well, that kind of it deserves. Or maybe they just wanted to make it. Maybe it's, it's so long that they didn't want you to be sitting there for maybe like three hours watching it. I guess. Uh, and then because Justice League Doom is basically uh, Savage gets Batman's contingency plans for all the different members of the Justice League and uses them against the the various members and that was pretty cool because they got all original voices for the different characters to come back like kevin conroy again as batman tim daly as Superman, michael rosemond as flash and got nathan fillion again for green lantern who they had in the green lantern animated film they did so it's a pretty solid film very solid film i didn't like it um and i'm a big Dwayne mcduffie fan it, it, the original comic is world better um it's called JLA's Tower of Battle. It's actually yeah. really worth reading. If you were read one Justice League comic the last 20 years, it's probably the one to check out. Um, I, you know, it's just a lot of this, if you think about it, just a lot of the things just don't hold up. I mean, why would Batman come up with a plan to shoot Superman with a kryptonite bullet? Batman hates guns, and Batman, you know, doesn't do fatal. Uh, yeah. And that, I thought it was really disappointing. Um, I mean, and it does have like a like it has a pretty downer ending to it too, because uh, like Cyborg becomes part of the spoiler alert, Cyborg becomes part of the Justice League, but then Batman ends up leaving because of like what happened and that and various other reasons. But and then I'm looking forward to seeing The Dark Knight Returns to see how that how that's going to turn out, because oh. that that, yeah, that that's again based yeah. on Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns graphic novel. Which yeah. was a game changer. I mean, yeah. if if you've never read the dark, if you read, if you're a non-comic book fan, you need to read three comic books, and one of them is the Dark Knight Returns. Yeah, and I like the, the almost like the entire opening. Yeah. Almost uh, like the entire opening to the Dark Knight Rises is uh, inspired by Dark Knight Returns too. Uh, the other two would have to be Watchmen, and I go back and forth, but usually I'll say the Killing Joke. Yeah. Yes, I would agree with that. And the, the the girl that's actually doing the voice for Robin in The Dark Knight Returns is uh, the younger... She plays the younger daughter on Modern Family. Yeah. And she's so. got a huge pay raise, from what I understand. That's pretty interesting. Uh, going from that, the, the next anim animated Batman series is going to be a CG animated series called Beware of the Batman, which is going to back to a darker tone animated Batman series. The animation style looks kind of interesting on it it's like very triangular and then i i don't know if this has been like in the continuity before where or uh alfred has been an ex-secret agent uh alfred's gonna be a secret yeah is a secret agent that's that is 
now from the comic book continuity, I think. But um, he's going to be like a gun-wielding secret agent. Uh, Batman's sidekick is going to be the superheroine, Katana, instead of any kind of Robin. Probably because Robin's like... Young Justice. Some of the lesser-known Batman villains, like Professor Pig, I think, is actually the first major villain. Uh, it's nothing like Joker or Penguin, at least not initially. So it's yeah. going to be mainly focused on Batman. It looks interesting. I don't I don't know if I entirely like the style. That I posted a the teaser trailer for it on our our Facebook page the other day, so you guys can check that out if you want to. Uh, and then the, the, basically what's on right now is Young Justice. We kind of talked about that a little bit. Batman's not that often, but he's kind of basically giving gives the Young Justice team their missions more or less each episode. And then the second season kind of flashes forward five years and Robin has become Nightwing and there's there's some Batman stuff in that second season. I really like that show. Um, I've actually gotten sucked into watching it pretty regularly. It's unlike, you know, Teen Titans or anything else. It's not kids acting like kids. It's kids who are pretty much had adulthood forced on. That's, that's a cool aspect of it where it doesn't feel like super kitty, almost like some of the times like Teen T- Titans did feel like that. Yeah. It's really yeah. kind of a fitting heir to like the Justice League and Justice League Unlimited show. I, I, I definitely agree. I, I think it's a solid show. And then the the next and, and last thing we're going to talk about is, super briefly is that the next animated film that they're going to be doing after Dark Knight Returns that Batman will be in is Flashpoint, which I'm looking forward to see that too because I've just started reading the graphic novel Flashpoint starring Batman. So should be interesting and Kevin Conroy is going to be doing the voice of Batman again for that one too which is very awesome mm-hmm. yeah. uh yeah so I mean this is almost like a two-hour long podcast Batman I guess definitely initiates something like that uh but yeah if thank you guys for coming on the show don't forget you can follow us on in, individually on Twitter I'm at Mark Vibbert M-A-R-C-V-I-B-B-E-R-T I'm at Questpack, Q-U-E-S-T-P-A-C-T. Or you can follow the show at Animated Podcast. And Tim and John, where can we find you guys online? I'm at Antiscribe.com, A-N-T-I-S-C-R-I-B-E. Um, I also have Twitter at, at Antiscribe. I have something where if I get 100 followers, I'll actually start updating that. Um, <laughs> but mainly just, it's mainly Antiscribe.com. Um, just, you know, I, I write, a, I have the articles on Batman up there and a lot of other things. So keep it. Let me know what you think. Uh, you can follow me at Mighty underscore Tim. Follow me for all kinds of ramblings, whether it be about TV, movies, Batman, Superman, whatever. And then you guys can feel free to email us at animationfascinationpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, send us some email. Let us know what you think of the show. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes, definitely. The more people that leave us reviews, it boosts us up in the ratings on iTunes and gives more people a chance to check our show out. Uh, you can visit our site out animationfascination.wordpress.com which actually just gave a major makeover to today so it looks a lot better than it did yesterday uh looks awesome man that's great i actually got to see it so it was really good i'm trying to make it look a lot more professional than it used to so uh and then also if you haven't yet be among the hundred people that have liked us so far on facebook just by searching for animation fascination so i'm mark vibbert For myself, Matt Quest, and our guest, Tim and John, thank you for listening, and make sure to tune in again next time, guys. Thanks. See you. Bye. Bye. To the Batcave. Cave.